Praise God. If you have your Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and, and get those out if you would. And uh, go with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 2. And I'm going to continue today with the word the Lord has stirred me about and given me for you. I was directed specifically to this passage a number of weeks ago and believe it has relevance for our day and our time and how we ought to respond to what's going on around us. And this is called the stand. We are called to stand. Amen. Not cave, not back down, not give in. Amen. Uh, Psalm chapter 2, let's read the text we have been reading. Uh, notice it with me. What, uh, verse 1, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Everybody say, that's me. Not just you, but we'd be included. We talked about that. Saying, let us break their bonds in pieces. Let us cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. New Living reads of verse 3, let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. The, the, the message reads, let's get free of God. This is the cry of, of many. They don't want to have anything to do with God. Of course, that's a great deception like we've shared to, to say, I don't want God in my life. is like, you knucklehead, don't you know what you're rejecting? <laughs> it's like, he is, so good, he is good and he, he, your life with him is amazing and without him is nothing. So don't, you know, don't reject that. But nevertheless, people do say this. And this is a demonic deception, you could say. It's definitely inspired of the enemy for people to push against God. And, but we are called uh, to stand strong, uh, to push back. We are God's standard in the earth today. And it seems ever increasing that the Lord needs us. And I'll explain when I make a statement how the Lord needs us as we go. Uh, but he needs us to stand. Yeah. And we're in the middle of some funky times. <laughs> in our nation. And even with, the, even with the rise of these massive companies that seem to think they can do whatever they want, uh, you know, because of their great power. And, you know, I'm talking about the recent events of even this week with Google and, and Amazon and uh, Twitter and, and Apple. And, and I use some of their products, dorks. <laughs> now what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, doing this anti-American stuff, and, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's a rough time. But I, I want us to catch the, the gist of how the Lord is, because how many know he's not pulling out his hair? Uh, he's not freaked out losing sleep. <laughs> what does the Lord do when people rage against him and against his anointed? Well, his initial response is this, he's laughing. Like, you have got to be kidding. You're going to do this? <laughs> this is laughable. And so we can take cue from that since we are to be imitators of God. We are, if you're, if you're saved, you're in the family. You're, you're born of him. You've got his spiritual DNA. So what, what do you do? 
What we ought we to do? We ought also learn. We also ought to learn to laugh. Yeah, laugh when you don't feel like laughing. You know, when you want to call fire down from heaven, <laughs> burn them up. <laughs> no, wrong spirit. <laughs> wrong spirit. Get on the Lord's page and, and get in faith and laugh at things. Ha ha ha. How I many? It does take faith many times in life to laugh when things are not looking so good. It takes faith to do that. That's, what we're, that's who we are. We're faith people. Yeah? I mean, if you get a, a, a diagnosis of some kind of serious physical, physical condition, I mean, you know, it does not take faith to cry. I'm not putting you down. I understand. But it doesn't take faith to cry or to despair or to be worried or, or all that kind of stuff. It takes faith in the middle of things to laugh. It takes faith to say, yeah, but I believe God, his word is greater, he is stronger, more powerful. Amen. And if we will do that, then you can laugh in the middle of whatever trial or test or storm comes your way. And that's our job. Stay encouraged, stay in faith, keep proclaiming the victory. Amen. This is who we are in Christ. And, and like I've said to you, we are God's righteous standard in the earth today. He uses us to proclaim his ways and show the world who he is, all right? Uh, many don't want that responsibility, but I want to expound upon this today to let you know that uh, it's either that way or it's no way. It's either we're going to cooperate with God's method or God's work gets limited, okay? He's not going to do it on his own. He's going to use you, and he's going to use me, yeah? You know, Jesus was teaching, talking to his disciples one day when, you know, when Philip said, uh, Lord, show us the Father, and Jesus made some very revealing and interesting statements to him. Uh, uh, th this is John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet, uh, yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So, so, so look, look, what Jesus, look what Jesus did there. He said, Philip, we've been hanging out for a while, man. You're saying, show me the Father like you don't know him. Listen, he's just like me. Jesus isn't saying, I am the Father. But he says, if you've seen me, you've seen him. He could walk in. You could have a conversation with him. He would sound just like me, right? He does the same things. It's, it's the same. If you've seen me, you've already, you already know him. Yeah? And so Jesus made this equation between himself and the Father, and this starts to show us how God works, how he likes to delegate, how he likes to represent himself through, um, through others, if you will. What, what Jesus went on to say after this, uh, just a few verses, he began to explain to them how he was going to leave. So Jesus is the vis visible representation of the Father, God's will, God's ways. Jesus is living it, acting it, speaking it out every day. And then he's about to leave. He says, I'm going away. But what, what, what did he say then? Well, it's, uh, it's uh, verse 16. He said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. 
And another helper is the Holy Spirit. And another helper means literally one just like me. So it's not some strange person. It's not someone who does things differently than I do and the Father does. He said, you see me, you've seen the Father. I'm taken off, but I'm going to be replaced by the Holy Spirit. And he's just like me. So when you hear from the Holy Spirit, you've heard from me and the Father. When he shows you something, it's the same as I would do, the Father would do. Everybody with me? And so... um, the interesting thought it comes to this now. If people saw the Father by seeing Jesus and the Holy Spirit, who is still present in the life of every believer, he reveals Jesus to us. Um, we also know that God is represented in the earth today physically and visibly, and that's by you and me, Okay. And let me, let, me, uh, let me mess with you a little bit. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can you say to people, well, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus? Now, how many, that makes you a little bit nervous. <laughs> Maybe nervous for yourself and some of you are concerned about me. <laughs> Are you supposed to be saying that? Have you gone off the rails here? Are you saying you're Jesus or we're Jesus? No, I'm not saying that we are. But I'm saying that pattern holds true. And we ought to be able to say, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Lord. Now, the reason we trip out with that kind of concept is because of our imperfect representation of Jesus. We all, we all recognize that. But I'm telling you, even though that is, this is still God's choice that he would be represented by you and me. Even though we're not going to do it with utter perfection, it is still his design that he would be represented in the earth by you and me. Someone said, well, I don't really like that. I know, but it just is. If you call on his name, if you claim his name, if you say, I'm, I belong to him, I'm one of his, then you signed up whether you realized it or not. I thought I was just praying the prayer so I could go to heaven. Yeah, you, it was a package deal. You became an ambassador for, for, for he, from heaven. You became a representative at the same time. What this ought to do is motivate us. We ought to say, ha ha, yikes, I better, I better step it up. I better get my act together because if the Lord des- designed it that I would represent him in the earth and people would eventually know him personally because they looked at me, <laughs> I better change some things. <laughs> yeah, it ought to be a motivator to us because uh, it is true. Now, Jesus uh, used this language other places in uh, Matthew chapter 10 is one example where he was teaching his disciples and he made this statement in verse 40. Put that up. He who receives me, uh, you, excuse me, receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. How do I get the Father? I receive, Je- I, I receive Jesus. 
How do I get Jesus? I receive, quote, you. He's looking at his representatives, his disciples. Does it still work that way? The answer is yes, it still works that way. Now, I, don't, I know it's not, it's not hey, uh, Jim, I receive you into my heart to be my, my something so I can get to the Savior. No, it's not that. But you have to receive a person because they are God's designated representative of him to share Jesus. Amen. The reason I have received Jesus and thus the Father is because my grandmother represented Jesus to me. And she gave me the message to tell me how it works. I learned what I need to do, what I need to believe, how I need to receive him from her. If I would have skipped over her and said, no, 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 I want the Lord in my life, but don't you talk to me. Then how many know I never would have got to the Lord? Amen. And so if we think that uh, we can reject all people and just say, well, I just received the Lord not you. I tell you, we are interrupting God's process. He wants to use people to get to us. And it's not only our initial salvation. He wants to use people in our lives continually. I have a direct relationship with him. And yes, I'm saved whether you like it or not. All hell, all hell could break loose and everyone else. I'm not giving up my relationship with God. Yeah. But at the same time, he continually will use people and his voice will come through them in addition to what you get direct. Why are you getting so quiet on me all of a sudden? <laughs> this, this is a, a, a way that God works. Now, I want you to turn with me, if you would, uh, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10. Now, uh, I'm not putting this up on the screen, by the way. So you either look at it yourself or you don't get it. And I do that on purpose, by the way. If you wonder why I do that, say, why not just make it easier for everyone to just look on the screen? Because I don't want it to be too easy. Seriously, I really don't. I really want you to invest some effort into this. Yeah? It's not the same as just, just never trying, never giving any effort, never applying yourself right? It's like if you go to the gym and you get a good, you know, good towel, put it around your neck, get the clothes, got the right gear and put your earphones in, you walk around, you walk into the room with the machines and hang out there for a bit and go, go by the free weights and go over there and go by the treadmills and push some buttons and, you know, Wave at people that you see, Ray, how's it going? Getting a good workout today, yeah. And you spend an hour and then go home. Did that do you any good? And if people ask you, so, you've been going to the gym? Yeah, I go every day. And they look at your, your fitness level and say, oh, you might want to try a new gym, something's wrong. 
No, it's just you're not putting any real effort into it. You actually have to do things that are hard. You actually have to apply yourself and lift things up and put them back down. Seems futile because nothing goes anywhere, but uh, spiritually things are that way. So I do this. I, I don't want a church in the big picture where no one knows their way around the book. All right. I realize in one day that's not going to do it, but if you come here for years like you're supposed to, God plants people and they stay for many years. Uh, if you do that over time, you'll be developed more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did you find Acts chapter 10? It's still right there where we left it. Uh, verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what uh, was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Okay, pretty good guy here, right? Godly man, he's a giver, he's a prayer. He's also not saved, right? He's not born again. He, 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 he's, not, he's not one of the redeemed, why? Do you know why he's not? He just doesn't know how. He doesn't know about the Savior. He doesn't know about Jesus. He has a good heart. He wants to know God. How many know God still works that way, by the way? If someone seeks after him and they lack knowledge, he, God will arrange something to get them that knowledge. So what about someone who doesn't know? If they will seek after God, he'll make an arrangement. Something will happen where the knowledge will come to them. Okay? So uh, what happened here is in... Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? He said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Isn't that interesting? He wasn't saved, so he wasn't praying, Father, in the name of Jesus, he wasn't doing what many of us have learned to do, yet God did still hear him. He was listening and paying attention and said, we got to get to this guy Cornelius because he doesn't know how to do this, but he wants to know. So he sent him an angel. Now, and the angel said, now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner who lives by the sea. So Simon moved in with Simon. That just makes confusion, especially when the mail comes. <laughs> Got a letter for Simon? Okay. <laughs> Look at the last phrase here. He will tell you what you must do. Get the picture. He's having a vision. This is an angel of God appearing to him, and the angel is saying to him, this guy, Simon, his name is Peter, he will tell you what you should do. Does anyone think like me? I'd be, if I was Cornelius, I might be going, hey, uh, Mr. Angel, like since you're here and we're talking and this is great, this is very cool, I appreciate you showing yourself to me and talking to me and give, why don't you just tell me what to do? That way, uh, I mean, I'm sure Simon is a great guy, but you're an angel. You're going to say it without flaw. 
without any mixture of any human anything. It's just, you're gonna be able to speak it direct and clear. Why don't you tell me what I ought to do? Doesn't that make sense? Makes sense, but God didn't want it done that way, did he? The angel was not given the assignment to preach the gospel. That is still true today. Angels are not assigned to preach the gospel. He had to tell Cornelius about Peter so Peter could tell him. Isn't that wild? Now, if you, if you read the whole chapter there, you'll find, well, what happened next? The angels give, appear into Cornelius. Peter then is having a great vision as well of the animals and the, the unclean animals. And the Lord says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Basically, giving Peter a revelation that, that salvation is not just for the Jews, but it's for everybody. Okay, so Peter's getting this revelation coming in, you know, in dramatic fashion. And then Peter wakes, wakes up or comes out of the vision. It says in verse eight, uh, no, verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And again, you got the angel, got the vision, got the, 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 the Peter's thing, and then the spirit say, says to him, doesn't this seem a little bit um, like it's um, time-consuming? <laughs> Maybe not the most efficient way to get the gospel to this devout giver and prayer and Cornelius in his house. All this stuff took place. And so ultimately, Peter is sharing the gospel with Cornelius. This is God's way of doing it. Now, we might not fully understand that or get that and say, well, why, 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 why is it going? It just is. If people did, what if, what if Cornelius said, well, I don't want to talk to Peter I mean, I don't even know what to call him, Simon or Peter or Simon. <laughs> or the, you know, this other Simon. I don't know. I don't want to talk to him. Lord, just tell me directly. And the Lord's word to him was, you listen to Peter. So and you can see how, what it means there. He had to receive Peter in order to receive Jesus. Peter preached the gospel and the power of God fell and they got saved, filled with the spirit of God. It was glorious and wonderful. And this is God's pattern. Look a few chapters later. Go to 16. Acts chapter 16. And verse, uh, verse number eight, Paul and his companions speaking of here, it says, says they, so passing through Mysia, they came down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Again, these spectacular methods of revelation, having this vision, seeing this guy, and having to say, oh, this must be the Lord calling us to go preach there. Why not give the man from Macedonia the vision and just tell him what he needs to do and just give him the gospel direct? Be a pretty cool testimony. The Lord shared with me firsthand 
But no, he moved on one to have to gather his team together, all his belongings, expenses are involved. He's got to stay somewhere. They've got to travel over to Macedonia, set up a meeting, find out where this guy is and everyone else who wants to hear and present the gospel. And it was all the Lord's doing. It was his way. It it was his method of getting the gospel to this city. Some have had the idea that the way things work in life, in God's kingdom, is that we pray and God does it. Nope. Nope. We pray and God sends somebody to do it. We want to, I want to sometimes, I can be honest, we want to remove ourselves from the equation. I totally want to sit back and say, go get them, God. Get the treasure valley, get, get them all. Right? But it doesn't work that way. And sometimes we pray, you know, I've seen small churches, very small churches, and I, God bless all churches, whoever's doing great work, but small churches for many years praying, calling out to the north and the south and the east and the west and telling the Lord to bring them in. Bring them in, Lord, bring them in, bring them in. And everyone gets all excited about bringing them in and they never come. (laughs) And just like we are called to reach many, many thousands more. And we can do the same thing. Lord, send them in from the north. We call them in from the south. Amen. (laughs) The east and the west, bring them on in. Does that mean they're gonna come? Well, I tell you how it's gonna work is until you go out to the north and you go to the south and you go to the east and you go to the west, those people aren't coming. Does that mean we shouldn't pray? No, we should pray. We pray for people. But it's interesting even when Jesus himself was looking at, at, at the multitudes of people and he, he, he proclaimed in Matthew 9, the, the fields are white unto harvest. They're ready, ready for harvest. That's the people's lives. And so he said, the, 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 the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers or workers into the harvest field. He didn't say, pray that they'd come in. He said, pray that someone would go get them. And I, I sometimes don't want it to be that way. I think, angel, you do it. Lord, you do it. Just bring them all in. But it seems to be the pattern in God's kingdom that when we pray, he moves on somebody. We ask him for help, he moves on somebody. I don't mean we can't personally get a prayer answered without anybody else. I don't mean things like blessings and healings and all those things can't come direct. Absolutely they can. But I tell you, the work of God in the earth is directly tied to individuals answering the call. We all pray and say, Lord, we want help. We need to reach the world. We need you to send more people. I look at my own life and I look at my own calling and I say, Sometimes I ask, why am I here? What brought me to this place? What brought me to do what I'm doing? And I do the math and go backwards and I see, oh, someone prayed. Someone said, Lord, send laborers into the harvest field. And I was stirred up. And the Lord dealt with me. And he called me to do something. And that's my assignment. We all have different assignments. But why are you stirred to do something for God? 
Why are you moved to, to help here? Why are you moved to give to the kingdom? Why are you moved to, to pray with others? And, and why are you moved to do all these things? Because at least one person has been praying and, 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 and like millions more have been praying, Lord, send laborers, raise people up. And I pray and you get stirred to act. And you pray and I get stirred to act, to do something. It's the pattern of the gospel. Jesus said in, in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Who must work the works? Jesus said, I must do the work of him who sent me. Not him who sent me does the work. I must do the work. In our context, I is me, I is you. I heard a person say one time, the Lord showed me this. He said, he was talking to a bunch of ministers. He said that God does the work and we help him. And I'm sitting there thinking, I was, I was silent. I thought, um, no, that's opposite of the way it works. That, he didn't show you that. <laughs> that's opposite. Because how many know Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the helper? Not he does the work and we help him. How does it work? We do the work and he helps us. So if my mind, if my purpose, if my focus in life is disconnected from God's purpose, intention, his mission, his plan, then the Holy Spirit doesn't really have anything to help me with. If my life is solely wrapped up in paying my bills and going to my work and going on vacation and doing this and that and just all natural stuff and I am void of the purpose of God driving me, recognizing that he has something for me in this life and eternity, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have anything to help me with. Everybody okay? And so we pray and God raises people up. Here's my prayer. Lord, put your spirit on more people. He's put his spirit on me. He's put his spirit on you to do certain things. I'm saying, Lord, put your spirit on more people. May more people wake up in the night stirred. I got to do something for God. May more people have a fire in their belly. May more people go to prayer and come, um, come out of it an hour later saying what happened to the time. May more people have a burning fire within them, your spirit upon them, so they will act, so they will work, and lives will be changed. And God gets represented in the earth. The Lord is raising up a standard against the mighty flood of the enemy's onslaughts, and it's you. And it's me. We adhere to his ways, his words. We speak them out. We follow his plan. And the standard of God reigns supreme. And he will not be denied. Praise God. Let me finish with this. Man, my time goes fast with you guys. Uh, at least on my end. I hope. <laughs> I'm aware someone might be saying, yeah, speak for yourself. <laughs> All right, bear with me if that's you. <laughs> in the book of Acts, we had the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit. They went out and began immediately preaching the gospel. Thousands were influenced. Thousands were coming into the kingdom. It was a great thing, but those people who were in charge, those who were in authority were threatened. 
They were, you know, their market share was threatened. <laughs> their control and their power was threatened. So they immediately started threatening the new believers, the disciples. And they said, you got to, you, you stop speaking in this name. You stop speaking in this name. They threatened them with, you know, and it's serious business. They'll be thrown into prison or, or beaten or worse. And, uh, and so this is what they were dealing with. And so they got together and prayed, which is always a good thing to do. It says in Acts chapter four, verse 29, now, the, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By the way, this is super cool. They're being threatened with imprisonment, with beatings, all this. They're being threatened. And what do they say? They don't say, Lord, deliver us from these people. Lord, cause them to back down. Cause them to retract their statements against us. They said, no, Lord, just make us bolder. When they speak up loud, I'm not praying for them to be taken away. Just make me bold enough to stand up to them. Come on now. This is, this is, a, this is the kind of prayer that honors God. This is the kind of prayer. I think we need this kind of Christian in our day. And it's ever going to increase. When you're saying, Lord, get me out of all this, why don't you change it and say, Lord, just make me bold enough to stand against it. Because when you stand, he stands in you. He stands with you. He stands for you. As long as your heart is pure, you're, you're seeking his will and purposes in the earth today, I guarantee you, he and the hosts of heaven, you've got angels surrounding you. When you say, Lord, make me bold, you are backed up by God himself. And that was their heart. They said, Lord, uh, fill us with boldness because we're going to speak your word. That's going to happen. So give us boldness to do it effectively and powerfully. And here's what they went on to say, verse 30. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they did the math. They thought, okay, if there are great signs and wonders, if there are people being raised up and cripples walking and blind eyes seeing, that's going to embolden us. And that, that's logical. That makes sense. I could see how that would embolden and, and, and make them uh, increase in their in their strength and courage to do this. But the Lord's response is interesting because it says in verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. In other words, it doesn't say when they prayed, God did amazing miracles and great healings and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Does it? God wanted the same result. He wanted the same outcome that they would be bold proclaimers of his ways and of his word, but his method was not do the miracle and that produces the boldness. God's method was, I'll fill you with my spirit. You will speak with boldness and the miracles will follow that. And that's how it worked. Did the miracles come? Did, did the signs and wonders come? Absolutely they did. But not until the people stood up boldly and proclaimed the word. And we sometimes want to sit back and say, God, just do it. Just make it happen. No. Fill me again. These people were already filled with the Spirit in Acts 2. This is a refreshing, a refilling, a re-empowerment. The result was boldness. And the result of people boldly proclaiming the gospel is miracles. This is when you and I stand strong, God backs us up. 
when we boldly, even in the face of opposition, proclaim the ways of the Lord, he backs us up. Amen, amen. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the people of God are raised up as a standard against them. When sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I tell you, one will put a thousand to flight, but two will put 10,000 to flight. We are the church that will not be denied and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So I'm seeking the Lord. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for me that we would not back down or become weary or become tired or become discouraged in any way, but in these last days, get filled up to the full and be bolder than we've ever been before. And watch God's spirit and his miraculous power ride on the spirit of boldly professed words. Hallelujah. I tell you, one of the things I learned about, about, about how to see God work more was not just to ask him, ask him, ask him to work more, but I found a direct connection that when I would, when I would boldly say, I'll do this, and I'm basing it all on this, not grabbing it out of the air. I will do this, and God will confirm that. I will do this, and God will heal, and God will answer, and he will show himself strong. When I was bold enough to say it without any kind of hesitancy, well, we sure hope so. Well, maybe. I hope this works. When I would just say, no, this is the way it is, period. I believe it, and it's going to happen. That in that context, it's not one of arrogance. It's one of confidence in God and when we do that, I tell you, he, he be, I, I could tell you a long testimony, but he began in that context to show himself strong. And healings take place and miracles happen. Amen. And you might be saying, well, I'm, not, I'm kind of a timid person. I know, but God's spirit on a timid person makes them into a brand new person. I'm the example of that. <laughs> I don't speak in front of people. What is that? Yikes, I'll help behind the scenes and pray. Unless your spirit's on me and I'll stand up and without fear and boldly proclaim his ways. And I tell you, it's only by the grace of God that we can all do what we're supposed to do. But his grace is sufficient. Amen? Oh, thank you, Lord. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for working.